dream last night and I woke up and figured I had to report it to the podcast that there was a new seven inch out on primitive languages. It sounds like a, well, this is definitely a dream. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And it was by Jeremy Corbyn. Whoa. Oh my God. And we all listened to it and we were very underwhelmed. Nick, Nick, Nick Klein is going to love this. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, we were underwhelmed. And then, but it was also kind of that thing where, like, you know how leftists can sometimes be cheesy and like very, and like a bit, just a bit too, you know, like when Bernie no, Sanders did no. that, like Woody Guthrie, you know, like album. And it's, we were like, this is kind of lame, honestly. Um, yeah, but no, don't you guys remember when William Shatner put out a record um, and it was just of him talking over, or he doesn't he have several albums of he's, him he's, just talking? Yeah, he's got a ton of albums, yeah. 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 I imagine in my brain that Jeremy Corbyn's album is like William Shatner, <laughs> but like with less personality. You know? it's, just, it's just Jeremy Corbyn like talking about train service. Yeah. I mean, I would... I would buy it in a heartbeat. If it was on colored vinyl. If it was on colored vinyl. I mean, right. I don't know. I like Jeremy Corbyn. I feel like a lot of people hate him, but I like him. Well, Is that crazy? We're, we're like a pretty... Uh, are we Corbyn bros? Is that what we are? I actually can't figure out who Jeremy Corbyn is. Is 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 he one of the good guys or one of the bad he's guys? He's absolutely one of the good guys. He's, 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 oh, not, okay. he's not a bad guy. Yeah, so. I think he is. Yeah. There's I mean, a lot of people who say he's anti-Semitic like, because he, you know, wants Palestinians oh, right. to not live in a it's trash right, heap. Right. So, exactly. Yeah, and that's a hard thing to speak up about. Corbyn is also, you know, he's he is very much a politician and very willing to make certain political compromises. Well, but sure. Find, you know, but given the global yes political scene right now, I mean, he's like the best we have. Yeah, I mean, I think he's yeah. bro- broadly like you know, several steps to the left of Bernie. So, yeah, I think on that note, uh, that's a good place to start. Right. I thought we were done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we're, we're done. Wrap up now. <laughs> um, so, uh, welcome to episode two of Basecamp beta. Um, I'm Chris. I'm Sean. I'm the other Chris. And in the hot seat today, first guest, you all know her as Cindy Lee, AKA CL. Hi, everyone. Um, thank you for having me. I'm a DJ and producer, sometimes promoter still, and uh, and sometimes, you know, program the radio, which is basically the same thing as DJing. It's my full-time job. I've been doing it for been full-time doing this since 2016, uh, although 2016, 2017, I was actually working more as a promoter, so I feel like I have a wealth of... Uh, you know, knowledge as well as uh, terrible stories from that time in my life that we can talk about um, in today's show. So thanks for having me. So yeah, today we're we're talking corporations. We're talking corporate <clears throat> influence in music talking, cultures. Talking Ray-Bans. We're talking Ray-Bans. Um, I mean, there's still a lot of sort of news and, and talking about this um, over the past days over the past weeks um, since RBMA uh, announced it was shutting down. Um, and I don't know, this this conversation has always kind of, it keeps building. I, I feel like every day there's another announcement of something or, um, you know, thing you see online with a corporation logo just kind of, you know, slapped onto it. Another party done in conjunction with absolute vodka um you know um well yeah i mean it, like it, it it's been in a lot of ways the kind of industry norm for 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 quite some time i think you know what we were talking about a little bit last week is that i think we're, we're you know we're, we're kind of uh, approaching the end of that era um with what do you the, mean with the, the end of that era the end well, of the with, corporate sponsorship era well with it with the the end of the corporate patronage era at the very least uh um, yeah, because I feel like we're we're hitting a turning point right now Absolutely. of like 
uh, where corporations are starting to be like, uh, I don't like what you're doing with my money. You're not giving me enough of what I need. Like that, that's like the end of RBMA. Thus, all the stuff I've heard about Boiler Room. Um, it just seems like, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's the end, but I do think that we've hit a turning point now where it's no longer you can do whatever the hell you want with our money right. and we'll just go with it because, you know, you're cool and we want to tap into your like cloud or whatever. Well, I, I, think, I, think, I, think, I think to put it bluntly, I think a lot of these corporations see recession coming and they're pulling the plug on something that isn't terribly profitable for them directly. Um, right. Right, because they need to make their money at the end of the day. Yeah, it's the bottom line, and I think that's why we do. We should be a little bit, you know, wary or critical of artists like, um, you know, I don't even want to say her name, but like Peggy Goo. <laughs> I think that like she's proven herself to be an an incredible uh, kind of quadruple threat in that not only is she a great DJ and a great uh, producer, but she's also uh, an amazing model, uh, amazing spokesperson, uh, incredible like brand personality. Right. She has crossed the, the threshold between techno into fashion in a big way. I can't think of any other DJs that play as many like fashion events as she does and gets huh. invited to fashion weeks and that ties in with her music. And, you know, she makes music that's very, uh, I wouldn't say it's challenging. I think it's very good, but it's still like palatable for a, for a, a wide um, section of you're, the you're, general you're, population. You're making her sound like like a an, like an exemplar of the 21st century Gesamtkunstwerk, the, 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 the total work of art. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah. like she, she really is. She's like the yeah. perfect product, right? Yeah. Like she, she embodies the sort of. Um, I mean, it's interesting because I feel like her career has really two parts to it. There's the early days because I've followed her career from the beginning, running my show, Working Progress, where I play only music by women. Uh, I, you know, got into her music from the early days when she was really doing more like kind of you know, tracky deep house uh, type of stuff that's like, you know, very clearly inspired by like Moody Man and like uh, sure. Theo Parrish, like American, you know, Detroit house, that kind of thing. And then from there, she moved to more of a, you know, vocal kind of poppy, um, more um, like a confluence of influences instead of just like one or two. And at that point, she kind of crossed over into the big, and she's been doing fashion-y stuff, I think, this whole time. And it has built and built. And as she's gotten bigger, the brands have, you know, more and more have flocked to her. And I don't think that, you know, for a lot of people, they don't really see there's anything wrong with corporate sponsorship. I think being anti-corporate sponsorship as artists is a very Western um hmm. uh like thought process okay. like when you when you go to asia it's not really like that you know yeah, in right. asia it's sort of like you know you're you're packaged as a as a talent um but you belong to your company you know like everything that you do is for the that it, the the line between art and commerce is non-existent i would yeah. argue right in, i mean we all Asian yeah, I mean, like, you know, there's obviously the talk about just sort of the, you know, the salary man or something in Japan, you know, the sort of overwhelming um, influence that the corporation you work for has on your life. But also, I don't know, we right. all played like video games when we were kids from Japan. We all watched animes and things um, when we were kids, all from Japan. And the corporation is far more present um, you know, the bad guy in like a Japanese video game is almost always like a corporation. Japan has just been more westernized for, for, for a very long time. I think that's, that's right. really at the core yes. of it. What, what uh, interests me about Peggy Gao is how exactly as you mentioned, Cindy, she is the, she's the quadruple threat. She has it all. Like right. she's capable of doing everything. 
and she's willing to present herself as a as a face for a brand and it's so interesting right. to see how brands how, are using her music and her personality as a as a means of i mean one interesting thing that i've seen happening here in the states for the past 10 years is how rapidly dance music has become the the hot thing you know right like look at the way that coachella lineups have changed over the past 10 years yeah. and now you have the black madonna you have peggy gow you have dixon you have blah blah all these really big names yeah. in seth troxler exactly. salomon those precisely. names that are on every festival lineup precisely yeah. and so you have all you have this whole new uh cohort of listeners of music fans of music consumers who 10 years ago would not have even given dance music half a second of their thought but yeah, now or they were in edm to be honest i think that we should be really scared of like yeah. i mean i don't know i i love maria i think she's great but i don't agree with some of the things that are floating out there on twitter um, that she has been a proponent proponent of, which is that, you know, like we should embrace people flocking from EDM and blah, blah, blah. I mean, EDM to me represents a lot of things that I find disgusting about mainstream culture that I want nothing to do with, you know, the yeah. world that we inhabit, you know, yeah. um, ultra commercialization, um, rape culture, extremely aggressive, like heteronormative, like, um, you know, heteronormativity in general and and, and, um, and how about also just pretty bad music <laughs> and pretty bad music yes exactly i mean like i thought the reason why we thought that our scenes were sacred was because that this was um um a refuge you know from all of that shit that yeah. we don't have to that we were outcast from those places we were all yeah. freaks and weirdos that were never accepted in those places so we made our own place and now to be honest so-called underground house and techno is the new edm oh. everyone is flocking into these spheres that five years yeah. ago they were listening to edm you know they and you know that is not to say that everybody that is interested in this is like a blood sucking vampire. I'm sure there are lots of people that are interested are genuinely interested and they got sick of listening to garbage music because obviously who wouldn't, but I think we should be distrustful of the fact that there are a lot of people like brands and, and yep. things that want to tap into this yeah. and make their money because for them, it's not really, they don't care about the future of electronic music. I get, I guess and we're seeing this now. Yeah, like they come in, they take what they need, and then they go. Once it proves to be not um, profitable, uh, profitable for them, I want to. I, I want to pose the losses. question. I want to pose the question. How how do as as an artist uh, and or a promoter do yeah. you do you do you erect boundaries um, against against this kind of infiltration? Uh, well, it's one of those things where um, it wasn't really an issue that came up in my life because uh i was so low like small time that like brands didn't know who i was or like gave a shit about what i did i just kind of you know did my own thing for a long time uh but i did work with a brand for a party um well actually like two parties uh i i reached um absolute vodka reached out um to me and um it was a it was actually a really great experience. I have no complaints about it because they let me do whatever I wanted to do. Um, and what's especially interesting that I think we should talk about is the fact that brands are not only interested in dance music, brands are now interested in progressive values, um, presenting themselves as being sort of bastions of like uh, being forward thinking, pro-women, pro-LGBTQ, pro-people of color, and they're selling it to make money, you know, to, uh, I can't um, speak on which brand is actually lying and which brand is, you know, genuine, but it is definitely the case, you know, Pepsi, Absolute, Smirnoff, uh, Bud Light, 
uh, Ballantines, all of these booze companies, as well as uh, what other Gillette the razors. <laughs> yeah, Gillette razors. Yeah, I've heard of Land Rover being really uh, wanting to buy into like you know uh, Boiler Room, etc. And it's like all these companies that are coming in and they want to buy into progressive nightlife. So that was how I was pitched uh, because of my work with Work in Progress. They knew what I was doing. They're like, we want to work with you and we want to work with you and two other entities from Toronto that were sort of working in similar, um, you know, ways and wanted, they wanted to empower us to throw events. Um, and this was really kind of the ideal situation. They gave us money. Uh, they allowed us to have full reign on who we wanted to book and how we wanted to present them. And most of the things that we asked for, or, you know, most of the things that they asked from us and we didn't agree to, they agreed, like they were really chill about, like they didn't argue with us when, you know, they wanted to put absolute branding, like light boxes at our, at like I booked Octo Octa. They wanted to put these like, kind of, I think pretty tacky, like a sign like boxes all they, over they, the they, they always they always like, want to do that don't they yeah it's really kind of yeah they do all the time isn't it <laughs> yeah and they're like you know don't, we just want to don't they know a, how bad that looks like, <laughs> yeah no no and one walks like, in wanna... no no one walks in is like that's cool yeah like i absolutely i like absolutely now. Cool. <laughs> but i thought it was interesting because they were like oh you know we assume that you usually have a light box so we'll just put our light box in its place and i'm like why i never have a light box where do you think i'm getting the money to pay for a light box that's absurd you should have a light box um, cindy you should have a light but box. they were really cool about everything they were amazing i have no complaints about them they were really um but you know it was I basically just free money not really sorry it was basically just they were giving you money to do what you wanted to do anyway Exactly. So um, in that respect, I thought it was really successful. We did, you know, no, we not only did the parties, we did a panel and it was really successful event. We donated money to charity. Like we walked away with money so that everybody who worked on the project was paid um, a, a fair wage and we donated to a charity of our choice. Uh, the parties were all super, super successful and the tickets were really cheap. And that to me is sort of like the ideal of, you know, because I do want to talk about like, we are critical of brand sponsorships, but at the same time, there is no money in our world. Right. Absolutely. So at the same time, like, what is the solution? You know, I, I really respect Matt Dryhurst. I, he's talked a lot about this particular issue about corp and he's less critical of brand sponsorships than others. I think that, you know, it, we need to find money from somewhere. And on the one hand, like it sucks that brands can just kind of like come in, play with us and then leave when they want to. But at the same time, um, why shouldn't we take advantage of our moment in the sun and take what money we can and then, you know, deal with the consequences after well, that, that, that's that, that that is the big question is like what are the consequences of this what 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 do they what do they get out of this and what what do you well, lose out of the transaction? and that's why it's coming up now because i mean we see a well, they're essentially, very they're big essentially pullout scene right gentrifiers right? right they're gentrifying our scene they come in they take what they need they're kind of like when i think of like uh people who mine for oil they go into like like sort of sure. uh, right to, right uh, to the tar sands communities <laughs> yeah they go to disadvantaged communities offer them we a know this is going to destroy the planet but yeah you know we're going to take your resources suck you dry give you some money and then we're going to fuck off and that's like that's how they've always been that's how they treat everything and knowing that i'm wondering if there's a way that we could you know leverage this knowledge and use use them in a way that benefits us and then kind of like move on because I, mean, I don't know what the solution is like i'm not i think it's really bad that there are artists out there that are just sort of like selling everything that they have to brands and everything that they do is branded like i'm not for that at all however i think that 
if there is a way for us to take what we need from brands to empower us to do what we want to do, and that's true to our vision, why not? I mean, that's the challenge is that there's the other side of this story is that income streams for artists have been decimated. Like, right. there is no real feasible way. Essentially, artists and musicians and DJs live and die by their booking fees. And that means mm -hmm. that booking fees need to creep ever steadily upward, which makes everything harder for the promoter because they have mm -hmm. no they and, have and, no and for, and for the and for the consumer for the fans too obviously. right 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 yes yeah i mean it seems and to me the that cover prices have and been know, ever escalating as well sean sean loves to argue with me about this about my predilection for intra community commerce but unless we i don't know like um, unless we start supporting each other more as community members as artists as promoters as all of that where is the money going to come from? How are we going to keep I doing think, this? I'm I'm not I'm not against that, but I, I like like you got to be aware of the limits of, of of those kind of gestures. Like you know, this is this is yeah, this, right. This, I that, think that, it's that, a that's, balance, right? That's super that's palliative stuff. Take, yeah, I think that's why people take issue. I mean, at least at least for me personally, that's why I'm a little bit uncomfortable by like I had to unfollow Peggy on Instagram because I found her Instagram posts to be too much. It's like every single post, you know, is tagged some brand. Literally, if you go on her Instagram, every single post is like Louis Vuitton, Tom Brown, wow. uh, Prada, you wow. know, and like, to me, it's like, I'm not like, I like fashion. I like clothes. I like all of these things, but I'm extremely distrustful of anything in our communities that reinforces inequality more than we already have. We already yeah. have crazy inequality. There's already insane income inequality, insane like racial, uh, gender, um, you know, all sorts of inequalities. And we don't need someone else to drive that more. Like for yeah. me, the beauty of underground quote unquote i you know got air quotes here um a dance music for air quotes as long yeah, as air quotes. Had it. underground yeah, is always auto air, air air quoted on this show yeah anytime yeah, anyone yeah. says it just just <laughs> in, just in, the, yeah. the air quotes materialize it's air quotes imply <laughs> <laughs> so i don't know i think the think? beauty of what we had was because like we're not like the world out there you know we're not like Absolutely. top 40 or you know commercial mainstream music which like i like pop music this is not about the music itself it's about how those businesses and industries are run which there is very much like the separation between artist and audience where an, an artist is a star you have to be a star to be able to do what you do which i find very oppressive i yeah. think like what's uh, the beauty of an artist is not that they have star power is that they have this inexplicable need to create. Right. And I'm really, it makes me uncomfortable to see how much we bring in more and more artists. Like she's not the only one, you know, like Solomon is a great example. Of course. Yeah. And like these sort of like celebrities of underground dance music or like dance music period where like people just worship them and like want to be like them. And they talk about their fans, like they're like their minions. And it's just like, it's gross. I, well, I find it all really, really and, weird. Like, I don't know. Really, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Sorry, I mean, I'm getting off topic. No, no, no. But I mean, and also, I mean, I think this all comes in the backdrop sort of about sort of following along what we hinted at earlier is that, um, it seems to me that uh, the club, and I, and I really don't want to say the club because for a lot of us, like the club is not the thing that unites us. It's like the music and that was always in DIY spaces. But the sort of uh, experience of going out to hear uh, techno has become increasingly bourgeois. Um, it's increasingly mm -hmm expensive um to go out and do it it's increasingly expensive to take part in this scene um and to it's a drink and do drugs and whatever yeah and it's increasingly ex expensive to be an artist and express yourself um and so you know not i mean a lot of that has to do it's it, there's so many things coming at once um one is just the fact that austerity has you know made it so that a lot of people 
you know, their housing costs have gone up Their you know, every cost in your life right. has increased. Everything costs more. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, and so it's just, everything's worse for everyone. But I think at this time to see the corporate influence start to grow and grow and start to be more and more, you know, just, I mean, you know, I really don't want this to be an episode about Peggy Goo, but I mean, just to see like, you know, the influence of these sort of bourgeois things, fashion, you know, all of this, to see it just kind of like come in and be unquestioned um, is I think, I mean, the scene has already gotten super restrictive to rich people. Right. And it's just to see it then just kind of say, okay, well, we're, you know. I to see those values embraced on every level. Yeah, and just see them embraced and just, I mean, on RA, on everywhere, to see these things, you know, just kind of like reflected all the time, I think is just, you know, I, I just want to say, well, hold on, what, like, what are we doing here? As we're all noticing that the industry has become more bourgeois and more inaccessible, there is this like a very loud section of the online community who say that actually dance music is becoming more democratized, that because of, um, you know, tractor controllers, because of digital and all these things that we're actually making it more accessible for everyone. But actually, I think the opposite is true. I think, and, and to have this conversation also about Peggy Goo, and about like corporate interests and things, because the number one argument I hear over and over again against our criticism of these things is that poor people have a right to get paid. You know, people talk about Peggy Goo like she's poor. And I don't want to get into that because like, <laughs> then it's just conjecturing. It's like, well, yeah, I yeah. heard that she comes from money and blah, blah, blah. Like, we don't need to get into that. But at the same time, it's like, um, we have a very simplistic understand, like, People are just coming up with fancier ways, more progressive uh, academic ways of allowing themselves to take money for like anything, to be sold out for anything. Because like, well, you know, I'm poor and I deserve to get this and I'm, you know, I'm fucking poor. I came from nothing. And like, I still have principles. It's not really about that, you know? And just like when we talk about like the beginning of like DJ culture back then, it's like those Detroit like kids, they didn't have money when they started playing records and they just borrowed what turntables they had from their cousin or their friend, or they pulled their money together. I just find all of these topics, like the way people discuss them online to be extremely unnuanced and simplistic nobody wants to engage with class on a real level like on a real level absolutely well, because and i think it's just pervasive i mean just like like we're talking about I, I, it's just completely restrictive um and so to talk about it is way more it is to open a way larger discussion i think um so, well I, th I, th I think also like at, at the root of a, lot, uh, of a lot of this is that um i mean there's certain things people don't actually want to change. Like people, a lot of people view, um, they view dance music now as a ticket to stardom. They view dance music as a, as a, as a viable career path rather than, you know, not to sound sort of, uh, this, this will sound sort of preachy or silly, but you know, uh, rather than a sort of like, like calling or kind of like serious artistic pursuit, it's, 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 it's a meal ticket. Um, I, and I think that's a, that's a pretty recent shift. One, one thing that I've been thinking about a lot lately, and Cindy, I think your perspective here is really interesting because you've seen the industry from every single angle. You've been a promoter, you've thrown your own parties, you've produced your own music, you've put your own records out, and you DJ for a living. So you see the 360 degree angle. And one thing, I've been throwing parties for six or seven years or so. I have tried to figure out my, to my best estimate, I uh, lose money on probably 40%. I break even or make less than $100 profit on probably 50%. And then on 10%, I walk away with more than $100 in, in my pocket. Um, wow. That's crazy. That's partially because I'm just a terrible businessman and I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> Um, but also it's because Pro proper of, capitalist, I, right? I've always booked shows with a perspective in mind with a certain perspective. And 
I've also, I'm also running a record label and producing records is a fucking money sink. Is it, it just, it's a void. And one, mm -hmm. this idea I've been having lately is what if we brought, well, this is going to sound utopian as fuck. And I don't know how realistic this is. There's but a space what for that on the podcast. You know, we want to, we, we want to have a high, <laughs> we want to have, you know, like a, a positive note to every episode, you know? Yeah. 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 What if we brought radical transparency in costs and pricing to dance music? Like what if I mean, I agree with that. I feel like when I negotiate with with booking agents, I send them my entire budget. Yeah. I don't ever try to lie to anybody about anything. Totally. Um I think radical transparency is how we get out of the hole that we're living in, not just in dance music, yeah, but just in, in general. Exactly. Like nobody wants exactly. to talk about what money they're paid, exactly. what fee they're paid. Exactly. And the thing is, we need to talk about that. This is like if we want to mobilize as a class and like fight against, you know, the um, the establishment or like our because I, I I feel in a way that we're back to feudalist times. You know, oh yeah, we're not we're that all... different from back then. Yeah. yeah. For the and, for, for, and, for the sake of clarity, though, by radical transparency, do you mean that like with every show, for instance, you would publish the full budget and something like that, something like, like you know, like yeah. like there 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 would be like like publicly accessible full right. full, and, full full costs uh, full, full you know profits losses yes, for everything. And I think that would really change the way that fans and listeners and dancers and consumers engage with the music because I I, I have seen you know I throw cool shows for an ever-dwindling number of cool weirdos who still live in San Francisco. Cool shows should also be in air quotes. <laughs> <laughs> I saw a really cool tweet the other day. Um. <laughs> but, like, and if they, if I'm pretty confident that if the people who are really passionate about what I've been doing, because I believe that I've been doing something worthwhile. Even if I'm not making money at the end of the day, I feel like I'm doing something worthwhile. And I feel like if the people that came to my events or came to our events and were like, this is fucking rad. If they knew the costs and effort and work associated with making that happen, they might be willing to be like, shit, let me support you somehow. Right, like, right. I care about like, what you do. I'm okay paying $20. Um, right. Well, I mean, even that isn't enough. Like, right. I have never <clears throat> charged more than $20 for anything I, I have done. And Well, can I, I, I just want to, pose a, a completely opposite situation to sure. you, yes. which is that I know that there will be a lot of people who are against this idea because on the other hand, I know promoters in Toronto who have made a living out of throwing parties in, in their entire life to the point that they're in their forties, they're middle-aged men with houses in Toronto and Toronto is one of the most expensive cities in the world, not just North America. It costs a lot of money to buy a house in Toronto. And yet there are promoters here who I know, I've dealt with them. I'm not going to name names, um, but their entire business model is booking local DJs, uh, paying them an insanely small amount of money. Mm -hmm. Like I was offered $150 um, <laughs> this year to That's play a party. Ridiculous. Um, I haven't been paid $150 in Toronto since 2015, maybe. And uh, that that's what they do. They underpay artists. Wow. Um, they only book locals. And then they charge, you know, not an expensive ticket, a fairly cheap ticket, but it's at a big space and uh, they work hard to build an audience, but uh, they essentially, that's what they do. And um, are the parties successful? Really are they fun? Are they? No, they're terrible. I mean, like, <laughs> I, I, don't, I mean, that, I don't that, that, that should have been a given, but <laughs> I don't personally like those parties. It's very much like a tech house, like burner yeah. uh, vibe. Um, but they're definitely sounds, trying sounds to tap great. in. Sounds great. They're, they're definitely trying to tap into like our world. And um, a lot of promoters in Toronto that are like that are now trying to tap into. And, and it, it sucks because I think most promoters are dirt ass poor who lose money 90, like majority of the time. Yeah. And, um, 
you know, I, I had a different experience. My experience was more, I would say balanced. Um, I wouldn't have, you know, lasted as long as I did if I hadn't been a little bit successful from throwing parties. Uh, but you know, I think I'm quite good with money. Um, <laughs> Thanks that's, to my mom. That's that, that's a rare talent in the, uh, the yeah. field of promotion. So and, <laughs> kudos. And, <laughs> and, you know, I always made a really, really uh, accurate um, budget because making a good budget is how you save your ass um, from losing money. But, you know, when I did lose money, I lost a lot of money. Yeah. Like I lost $2,000 from a party and it was... That taps you was, out. That taps you out. Yeah. That, they you know, completely that, tapped me out. Yeah. I was fucked for, I had to borrow money to make yep. that, like, to make yep. it through that time. And, you know, it, it, th- those things are rare. However, when they happen, it's like, like, what do you even do? And I guess, I guess one other thing I'm, I've been thinking about with this idea of radical transparency is I, the parties I throw and the record label that I run, I I essentially don't run them like like a business because I'm an idiot, but also because I don't think of them as businesses. And I feel like, like honestly, if there were more players in the underground dance music industry who didn't approach their their craft as a business, that might be good for us. Well, I think uh, you know, I think if yeah, this podcast can do anything, we're... we should inspire people to. To start a party, it's a great idea. You're not going to lose any money. Um, it'll be great. Yeah, but, but don't you realize that we're actually like martyring ourselves by not treating it like a business? Yes, because outside of North America, you're right. They all treat it like a you're business. Right. You're told you're like you're nobody treats right. it more like a business than promoters in the UK. The craziest thing was I started, you know, like I you know, going out to techno, whatever, as a kid, you know going out to parties and things, hearing stuff. Um, by the time, the first couple times I went to Europe as an artist, and that was much later, I was like, wait, what? Like, this is, like, everything is is actually a business. Everything is very well yeah. oiled, and, and, it, and it is completely... Uh, it sounds good, everything works, and... Uh but it was also just everything else. Like uh, the communication was very professional. Like there's all this, it was, it was very bizarre to me. Yeah. It was also pretty bizarre for me to realize that I was playing what I thought was very, fairly radical underground music to essentially jocks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's like, so weird. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah. They're, they're, they're for, as an American, there's like colossal cognitive dissonance yeah. there. Like, I, like yeah. only the weirdest freaks that I can possibly imagine even know what this kind of music is. Yet, you know, here we are. Yeah. Um, I did want to just talk about um, the idea of, of branding. I mean, we as artists, as DJs, as promoters are increasingly seeing ourselves as brands. And I wanted to talk about navigating the corporate landscape as a brand because now as an artist you are also a brand and so if you do a uh, boiler room uh you know in collaboration with bud light event um what is going on there like your brand is this being tied to other brands there's a really strange interaction there well, I guess I, I just feel like I'm always trying to actively combat that branding aspect. Um, I think I can't help but be me. Right. And I am quite uh, forthright. And um, yes, you are. <laughs> yes. And open about who I am. I don't really hide anything. And so because of my personality, I think that there is an, um, a really like people really want to brand me as like this, um, you know, angry feminist, uh, psycho bitch or whatever. <laughs> and, um, I, because they don't know how to brand me musically because I play a lot of styles. Mm-hmm. And so 
I find the branding thing really gross. I hate it. Um, I don't want to be branded as just an angry psycho feminist, although that is a big part of me. But maybe but Budweiser could do well to partner with your, uh, you know, uh, psycho feminist right. brand, you know, to up their uh, <laughs> social standing or something. I mean, this is kind of what I'm trying to get at as well, is that there is this very bizarre... Um, I, I don't know, like idea of collaboration of brands of, you know, like you're asked to play an event because yeah. uh, it, it's good for you. It's exposure, you know, and like because one brand will lift you up. Um, and I, I just want you to shit on Boiler Room, Sydney. <laughs> I guess that like, I mean, in my experience, I don't really think brands want to work with me. I haven't really felt like a great big like pull. Um, the, the the biggest like demand in my from my own personal experience is from people wanting to um, you know interview me or like sorry um write like do documentaries or like um, spotlights and things on my experience as a woman in electronic music. You know they really I feel like in um the in popular culture there is this obsession with exoticizing people's struggles um, because it'll get like um, clicks. People really want to read that about like, oh, how hard struggle I Struggle porn it. is very real for sure. Yeah, for sure. And I'm at a point now where I don't want to talk about that. I'm actually at a point where I struggled for a really long time. And now I generally don't really have to deal with a lot of blatant disrespect that happened in the early days, you know, and I just want to talk about my music. So I, I feel like when I actually want to talk about my music, nobody wants to talk to me. They only want to talk about me. They only want to engage with the, the part of me that's really controversial and like radical because it'll get them like clicks or like views and things like that. And well, I, I think, I think that gets to a, gets to a broader issue that I think, People don't really care about the music anymore. The music, the music is 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 like a, a, a no. It's a, secondary. They don't a, or, give a or, shit. Or tertiary. It's a it's a it's a thing that's attached to your brand, right? Um, yeah, exactly. They think that like, oh well, she's very articulate and like she loves to you know call people out. Blah blah blah. blah. It's like this is perfect, you know. Right. But, this fiery it, feminist. It, you won't believe the six things she said. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like very clickbaity, and like, what can we do to like, um, you know, monetize this? It's always about like, how can we monetize and like, absolutely. And and I, I don't know. I just find it is really um, irresponsible in a way because they will, you know, they pull you in to spotlight you, and then they're not there when you're dealing with hate mail and like, fucking really oh, brutal, yeah. like. Yeah, I mean, I think that this is like maybe not what you were getting at. Um, but I also just I don't really get a lot of branding opportunities. Um, I think that this woman as an entity, they do. Um, but I'm just an artist on the agency, so I don't really get those same things. And also, like, I think the rest of this woman know that I am not so great or pro branding <laughs> and so brand like, brand I mean, suicide have, 2019 that's the ultimate power yeah, move. <laughs> yeah so we don't we don't usually talk about these things it's kind of like um because they know i i hate that shit <laughs> one th one interesting sort of sidebar to this conversation is uh just the other day on facebook or whatever i i saw that that guy who writes those who who makes those cute alien comics um, like a couple of years ago, he did a tweet that was basically pro-life, I think, uh, something about abortion, about abortion, not being the right. Okay. It's very bad for your brain. And immediately I saw a slew of articles from like, kind of like women's interest websites being like, be careful what you share this, this guy that makes cute comics actually has really bad politics and you need to be very cognizant of the views of the creator of the artist that you're sharing and it just kind of struck me as like wow it things have changed like 
things have really changed. I mean, I, I completely agree that I'm not looking, I'm not out here trying to consume art, art made by, made by, made by pro-lifers or right-wing fuckheads, whatever you want to do. But it's just, it's a really interesting shift how even something as sort of, uh, innocuous, uh, innocuous and benign as like sharing a cute four panel comic, <laughs> how that can be construed as be careful what you share, be careful what you retweet, man. Yeah. Like, <laughs> right. Your role, fucking... <laughs> your role know, on these platforms is really to share. Excessive, to be honest. Yeah. I, and it, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's funny just I that think... we would expect utmost moral purity from, from not, not just the art we consume, but, but the like just kind of random ephemera that we pass around on social media. I think what it really says is that um, there is a real anxiety in our collective like population or communities, Mm. a feeling of hopelessness Mm. um, that we have no say in like our future. Yes. I mean, we have no say in our political future, um, our immediate governments, the countries that we live in and et cetera, there's, and, and so we try to exert control in other ways that we might have a little bit of say in. Right, we like, try to consume um, uh, conscientiously. We try to buy ethical right. things. It's we like try a, to it, do these yeah. things it's to a not question. Solution. Yeah. Right. It's a band-aid solution to make ourselves feel better about the fact that like our future is going down the toilet, you know? Right. Like, yeah, you're 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 completely right. And meanwhile, that. all of us Absolutely. are just comfortable enough that we're 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 far more able to uh, internalize everything and critique every decision we make on a micro interaction level on a micro consumption level rather than because because the problems are just not yet as apparent to us this is this is why i object to like the kind of like consumer uh consumer ethics focus that that chris uh chris sometimes uh you know uh, advocates for is that you know like like consumption choices really have a pretty nominal individual consumption choices have a pretty nominal effect on on everything um, yet we place no, we place this huge, no huge, huge, they huge really emphasis no on effect. it because that's that's the fundamental fundamental way that we have learned to relate to to relate to the world and the and the the decision point that we have decided has the most impact on the world is what we consume and what we choose not to consume, and uh, that's ultimately capitalist logic. Well, Sean, yeah, it's right. your role to make green decisions. Uh, right. it, it is not right. Exxon right. Mobil's role to make green decisions right. uh we can't actually do exactly. that that's outside of our purview yeah. but you uh you can uh i don't know uh save one sheet of paper a day or something i don't know <laughs> i used a bunch of paper towels yeah, to no, wrap those like trombolis in earlier direction that politics is moving in now is like um sort of paying platitudes instead of like I think we all know that a lot of the problems with our like our cultures, our countries um, are too big to solve with just like um, a consumer decision, you know, or like, I'm not going to listen to this artist because he did this this one time or like, you know, that doesn't that doesn't actually accomplish anything. And they're too big for us Um, to solve individually. And that's why we need to reinforce the idea that we're actually a community and that we have power in numbers and that, you know, individually we can't do much, but I don't know, together, like our community, we're not huge, but we're pretty big. We could do a lot. We've screwed ourselves in how much we rely on social media. I really think, I mean, this is the part where I'm going to be really not like optimistic. I think that if we want to continue as like a community of people that are together, we have to get rid of social media completely. Like I, I really don't think as much as I am addicted to Twitter, I think Twitter is actually extremely toxic. Right. Don't talk shit on Twitter on this podcast. (laughs) Well, no, you can talk shit on Twitter all you want. Please do. Please do. (laughs) Podcasts are the way forward. Podcasts are the future. That's how we're going to unite and take down capitalism. Are not social media. Podcasts is not social. That's different. It's it's true. I I, I just, I just mean like specifically like 
Facebook, Twitter. Um, I saw a really great tweet, which is ironic because it was critical of Twitter that basically said that like 99% of the fights that you see on Twitter are just, if we had them in real life, it would just be like a topic that we talk about and then we move on. Right. Yeah, 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 for sure. There'd be, nor- there would be normal, there'd be normal good conversations really. Yeah. Yeah. If we actually want to unite as a group, like I do think that social media is great for like um, organizing and things like that, but um, there are other ways to organize beyond social media through the internet, like through like forums or like emailing. I just think that like we're big not advocate of the forum. doing ourselves I love forums. any favors. Love forums. forums. I miss message boards. Uh, oh, so I, many, I miss, so I many good IRC. forums. We need to, we need of to bring back IRC. IRC. <laughs> yeah, <I laughs> the, the real nerd here comes out. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say. Uh, speaking of speaking of IRC, let's talk some music. Cindy, what are we talking about? Dad oven. Dad oven. Dad oven. The dessert. Antibes. Es village. Monte Carlo. Saint Tropez. Nice. London. Going to Paris. Going to Paris. Aspen. Es village. Antibes. Aspen. Nice. Monte Carlo. Aspen. Antibes. Hollywood. Aspen. Going to Paris. Going to Paris. Well, I picked the song because I I really like the lyrics. Um, I like to, I've played it a lot in DJ sets because I find I like to play. Uh, tracks with like a vocal that's quite um, ironic and I find the song to be quite ironic Um, this sort of like disaffected vocal talking about being a jet setter you know going from Monte Carlo to you know and it kind of ties in with what we were talking about in this episode of um, this like uh, worshipping of um money of um celebrity culture of like bourgeois lifestyle um as we i mean like i didn't mention this earlier but i've noticed in the past five years the um incredible rise in popularity of instagram lifestyle pages (laughs) dedicated to techno (laughs) yeah and like 95 percent of those posts have amelie lens in them you know and they're all like it's so crazy and and like you want to talk about like, influencers there you go there you go it's like oh i'm a jet setter i'm a you know this is a lifestyle of a dj you know when i i can't even have an honest conversation with my friends at home about being on the road because i feel like they think that i'm just complaining for no reason um because they think that it's so glamorous to be a dj we all occupy this really, really strange, really strange zone where we play in these clubs where a lot of people are pretty like jet setty, you know, um, they're flying around, you know, they, they, they go to these expensive clubs. Um, we, you know, fly a lot and accrue maybe some sort of status. And luckily after some time, we you know, like can go in lounges or something, but like we don't have any fucking money. But hasn't that also like kind of been historically the role of the artist, right? Is to kind of permeate these class boundaries. That's like, that's kind of what the artist has done for, I don't know, the last uh, century or so. Yeah, that's true. I mean, we just like become a tool. Um, Yeah. I don't know. Like I, I have to say, I hate flying. And yet everything that has to do with flying, everything to do with traveling has become this thing to enforce further like inequalities in hierarchies. And, car- um, and, and carbon you know, footprints. Is more- it's super glamorized, yeah. Yeah. And no one wants to talk about the carbon yeah, nothing footprints. Nothing is more hierarchical than like boarding a plane, for right. example. Like how hierarchical yeah, right. that First is. First class, they, 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 they fucking tell you. First class. <laughs> back, back, back to the track for a minute, though. I like listening to it. What struck me? Uh, I was struck by two things. One, one is that it feels. I mean, it's it's just decidedly like a a, a like you know hard hitting New York house track, like mid mid late nineties style. Yeah, this came out right. on, on Jelly Bean's label, right? Yeah, Jelly Bean Benito. Ninety seven or eight? Was yes, it? yes. Um, I, I'm familiar. Ninety. I'm familiar with the with the the the, the Dat Oven track Icy Lake because it was uh, 
buzzed about a few years ago when um, I I, I love Icy Lake. It's it's great. It's great. Um, It drives me insane that vocal. It like makes me want to throw myself. (laughs) It it makes you want to throw yourself into an icy lake. Is that it? It just like triggers me. This one also. the uh, the kind of like ironic uh, depiction of this jet setter lifestyle I actually felt, and I mean this in a it juxtaposed with a kind of like hard hitting New York house beat, and I mean this in a good way. It feels very electro clash to me, um, or kind of yeah, pro, it's very electro proto electro clash. It makes me think of like like party monster, yeah. um, New York party kid. Um, that it's just super decadent, super sleazy, super like. You know, we know this is a lifestyle that we could never lead, but we're going to talk about it as if it's, you know, a thing while we're yeah, high out of ex- our mind on, you know, uh, really shitty drugs. So, like, I feel like the way I've engaged with the song is that I find it really funny. And it is funny. It's, 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 it's super it's funny. funny. I mean, it's clearly like, you know, the, the deadpan sort of, like you said, Cindy, disaffected recitation of these vocals is like right clearly really really funny i didn't even yeah. realize they were i i thought they were just like sampled vocals from some i don't know from some something i didn't realize they were actually just like spoken word were vocals. they also taken from like an answering I machine think, message like uh like with icy lake um i don't know but it, this vocal is on all the versions uh yeah but no i i i i really like the track and i i i didn't know it i only knew um I was only familiar with Icy Lake, which is yeah, like a a really odd one. Um, and this this track has a lot of appeal. Yeah, it's really and it's really fun to play because like you know when you play it in a DJ set, it's not necessarily ironic. People take it kind of like as right. it is. Well, you were just jet setting to get there probably. Sort of, so. I know, and you see people wearing their like expensive Ray Bans dancing in the crowd, and they're just like, yeah, I'm feeling this. It's great. <laughs> love love Ray Bans. Love Ray Bans. <laughs> we are against all sponsorship on this show, but Ray Bans, I, I, I need a new pair of sunglasses. Is all I'm the, saying. the only sponsorship I want is Tito's vodka. Tito's, are you out there? I'm sad I didn't get to talk about uh, Boiler Room because I had so much tea. To talk yeah, about I mean, I know, I know well, you have to go, and I, you know, we also wanted to talk about Carl Craig being really horny. Um, but uh, uh, Carl, Craig, Carl Craig is going to be horny next week, and guess what? He's going to be horny the week after. That's true. That's true. He's still. He's. I've never seen anyone double down as much as he has about anything. Props, I guess. No, I mean you gotta. I mean it's great. Um, before I go, there is something that I do actually really want to say about Boiler Room that I just can't even not go say for it. it. Drop, drop, drop bombs. Drop bombs. I. Okay, um, because I've had a number of friends tell me about um, how Boiler Room has become a pay-for-play platform. Um, they're going to, like, promoters uh, and making promoters, like, how do I explain this? So my friend, uh, um, who shall remain na- nameless, uh, runs um, is a promoter, uh, a programmer at a club, and they reached out to them and was like, um, uh, basically, sort of like, we want to work with you. Uh, we should get, um, you know, people from your crew to play. Blah blah blah. Oh, by the way, it's going to cost you two point five thousand uh, pounds um, to do this with us in collaboration with Boiler Room. And she was like, what? What do you mean? I thought you were going to pay me. Like, you're literally Boiler asking Room, Boiler Room me. hasn't paid anyone, like, ever. Like, that's not that's not been the... No, no I was paid by Boiler oh, good, Room. Good on, good on you. Yeah, because it was sponsored. Um, my understanding of the old model of Boiler Room was that they could only pay people when it was sponsored okay. by a brand. Okay. And but um, now that now that's full on now it's full on. Now they've completely they they they've they're not in that model anymore. Now they're in a model where they either get brand sponsorship for the entire event, and then maybe they can pay people. I don't even know, or they bring their brand to like now. Boiler Room is trying to leverage itself as a brand. Um, <laughs> 
and bring itself to various cities because they've established their reputation. Sure. Now they can ask promoters, uh, you know, clubs to be like, do a party with us in collaboration. And um, you have to pay us to use our branding. And we probably won't even broadcast it. It will just be a party that is sponsored or like X spoiler room, but you actually pay us. Jesus. Isn't that crazy? That's this is like, the, this is the shift. This is the shift at. from feudalism to ex, like full on exterminism. This is this is this is the end game. Well, it's just you right. know like this is so. This boiler is the room moment can... when the the investors are like, uh, "We're done with giving you money. <laughs> yeah. Now you have to give us." Money. Well, it's you know it's a classic tried and true model. You know, boiler room can go throw a uh, event in Cairo and uh, you know set up a whole thing where basically uh, you know young Egyptian artists need to pay them. And it's, it, this is the Suez company uh, model. Uh, it's, you know, it's always worked. Uh, colonialism is, has always been great. Alive and thriving. Yeah. Yeah. Forget spotlighting any kind of emerging scene or whatever. It's only going to be whoever has the money to pay them. And I think there's going to be way more ticketed boiler room events in the future because now it's no longer about broadcasting and things because basically the investors were like, you're not bringing in any enough engagement or money and uh, we need to make this money back. And they, all the core members of boiler room were gone. Like they've either quit or have been fired. So the only people that work at boiler room now are like fucking people who used to work at vice. Basically. Let me re- like allow, allow me to re uh, repose a question that I started to ask earlier. Like, what do we as as artists and promoters do to to sort of challenge this uh, these these new models? Other than just say no, like what else can we do? Crickets. <sighs> I mean, now that we don't need to have an answer. I mean, this is like kind of what the podcast is here for <laughs> yeah, is to yeah, like yeah, yeah. to work this out over the coming. Honestly, it's going to take a long time, but, you know, uh, to st- start actually talking about this as a community. I mean, I, I don't know the answer because when I think about it, what Boiler Room and Red Bull Music Academy both did, all they did was bring people together. Right. Because like the people that did the work for our Red Bull the people that used to be a part of Boiler Room, they're from our yeah. communities, right? They're our friends. There are there are other people that like they didn't just they're not gentrifiers of the scene. Like For they sure. were in the scene from yeah, the first they're, they're, day. They're like the last and remnants of like music friends, journalists and uh yeah, small time promoters. Right. And, uh, yeah, absolutely. Exactly. And what what those brands did was just give them money to empower them to t- do what they were gonna do yeah. anyways. And so like the answer to your question, while I don't know if it's that simple, is that we need to figure out new ways of uniting as a community. Um, we don't have the money like those big brands do. Um, we got the power. But, you know, but we have the power. Oh, fuck and, yeah. <laughs> and there, based on what I know, I think that there are still a lot of brands that want to swoop in and take over like Red Bull's place, you know, like I think there are based on my, my singular experience working with um, absolute vodka is that there are a lot of brands that want to be them, you know, to take their place. And like, I don't know how we feel about taking their money. Like I, I, I don't know, but at the same time, we don't have money coming, coming from anywhere else. Yep. And really what the only thing that we have is the strength in numbers and the strength in like our collaborative power, we have to work together. Like it's, we can't, that that's the only answer. Absolutely. Oh shit. Was that, I didn't mean that to tie that in with absolute vodka. (laughs) (laughs) Tito's riffically. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) They're in my head, man. They're in my head. What can I say? <laughs> well, on that note, Cindy, yeah, I it's been go. an absolute pleasure having you on the show. It's been wonderful. God damn it. <laughs> Thank you for having me. 
<laughs> Fuck. All right. Sean, Absolutely. you do this. It's been amazing. It's, it, it, Cindy, it's been awesome talking, uh, as always. Uh, yeah, it's been really fun. And, uh, you, of course, a, a, like anytime you're in New York, we'd love to have you on, uh, you know, in, in person. And, uh, okay. uh, you know, have you back anytime you want to talk uh Talk uh, talk shit on anything, you're you're always welcome. Or talk positive, you know. Yeah, this yeah, isn't yeah, a, yeah. this isn't a shit talking podcast. Oh, oh, like 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 my uh, like my astrology app said today. Try not to talk shit, and we didn't. So job well done. No no shit no shit. No, was we talk. didn't. I think exactly. it was very constructive. Zero, zero shit talk today. The st- the stars <laughs> were right. Well, I'll definitely be back in June. Awesome. Um, I think I'm there uh, June seventh. I'm playing all night and now. Nice, right? So I'll be there. Um, thanks for, I don't know, taking Yay. a chance on this little thing we're this trying to start great, here. This could be our thing to take us away from techno Twitter, which I feel like <laughs> is extremely toxic. Yeah, oh, techno, uh, but, I, but I love techno Twitter. Hopefully a little stepping stone. All right. Well, I'm going to hang up because I got to go. Yeah. Good night. Have a good night, Cindy. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.